Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. There's a lot of conflicting information about dietary supplements these days. Not only what you should be taking, but whether you should be taking anything at all. Dr. Tirone Lodog has done us a service of demystifying these questions. Dr. Lodog is the director of the fellowship program for Andrew Wiles Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. She was appointed by President Clinton to the White House Commission on Alternative Medicine and has served on the advisory board for the National Institutes of Health Center for Alternative Medicine. Before attending medical school, Dr. Lodog was a respected herbalist with training in midwifery, and she's back here on Health Watch today to talk about her new book from National Geographic, Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Welcome back to Health Watch, Dr. Tirone Lodog. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, just one quick point of clarification. I, I retired, actually, from the University of Arizona and came out of retirement. So now I am the fellowship director for the uh, Interprofessional Fellowship for the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. So just um, uh, uh, my retirement was, was short-lived. <laughs> well, I'm sure people are happy to have you back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me this morning. Well, you, you start out your new book, Fortify Your Life, with, in your preface about your father and his own, and his watching how his health was managed um, as he aged from the sidelines and the frustration you felt about how it was managed. Can you talk a little bit about how that was for you in, in relationship to the enterprise of the book? Sure. Um, I, I'm, my, my father is a very strong and healthy man and a real testament to the fact um, uh, of his strength of character and also modern medicine. Um, he has had cancer, um, metastatic cancer, for, for, for more, than, more than two decades, actually. I mean, so he is uh, he's just amazing. Um, and so he has managed his health, and he's, he's really done everything he can to be as strong and healthy as he can be. And he was um, placed, the last time he'd been on chemotherapy, he was placed on a proton pump inhibitor. And, um, and I had suggested, uh, you know, a year later when I found out he was still on them, that he go off of the proton pump inhibitor because it wasn't necessary for him anymore. So he did what many people did. He asked his doctor if it was okay for him to stop taking that. And his doctor said, no, you don't need to stop taking it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's good for you. Now, I, I want to remind you, my dad was in his late 70s at the time. Um, and so he never stopped it. I get a phone call. Uh, my husband and I are traveling, and I get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night, and it's my mom telling me that he'd been hospitalized. And the long and short of it was that um, from being on the proton pump inhibitor for, for so many years, at his age in particular, um, his magnesium levels had plummeted to a critical level. Not low, but absolutely critical. The morning when he was taken and admitted to the hospital, um, he couldn't move. His legs were so weak, and his heart, he said he felt like his heart was just not beating normal at all. It was in a, he was in an arrhythmia. And, and, and then when he was released... Um, he went home and he was admitted again about a week later. His magnesium had plummeted yet again, and they diagnosed him as having um, C. difficile, a, a diarrheal disease that can also be the result of being on these long-term acid suppressants. And, and it just struck me when I had been speaking. I've been talking to his doctors for, you know, 20 years. When I asked to have his vitamin D level checked because he had gotten shorter and um, he complained of more back pain, his doctor said there was no need to check his vitamin D. And his exact words to my, to my dad were, um, were the following. 
your daughter's not on that vitamin D bandwagon, is she? Wow. Well, his level was six. Oh my God! Critically low. <laughs> That's even and, low and, for and, you Portland. Know, but I had to get my mom's endocrinologist to actually draw the vitamin D level. So, part of why I wrote this book is because. I definitely believe that with all these mixed messages out there about vitamins and minerals in particular, that people are confused, and many of them do not realize that not only are, is the American diet often very depleted in key nutrients that people need for their health, but many people take prescription medications that actually deplete their body of nutrients that can that can be life threatening these these really low levels. So that was that was a lot of the impetus for for writing the book. Well, let's start with the big question of why people should consider dietary supplementation. Let's say we have listeners today who are healthy eaters who eat uh, whole grains, nuts, beans, dark green leafy vegetables, and well raised. Um, animal protein. Uh, what, what would you say to them in terms of the, why um, a diet isn't necessarily sufficient? Well, now, I'm not saying that somebody cannot have, that, that every single person needs to take supplements. Uh, my experience, however, is that from sitting in a room listening to people for more than 30 years, that people actually don't eat like what you just described. Um, and even today, when we're looking at non-genetically modified foods, which I hope most of us are, we're looking at non-GMO, somebody who may have been eating Special K or Cheerios 10 years ago and getting all of the, the uh, enrichment or fortification of B vitamins, iron, calcium, etc., when they're buying their, their new cereals, the non-GMO cereals, that most of us, if we're going to eat them, that's what we're choosing now, buying them at you know, natural grocers, those are not fortified. They're not enriched because you cannot guarantee that the bacteria used to raise the bacteria or the glucose fed the bacteria are, are, are not genetically modified. So we have done a great job in being able to shore up, especially in some of our poorer populations. We've been, a, we've been able to, through the use of, of fortified grains, be able to help people sort of make up some of the difference in these short gaps. Well, that's going to change now, especially as many of us are demanding non-GMO foods. Um, the, the lack of the fortification is going to be felt, make no mistake about it. The Centers for Disease Control does uh, a biochemical monitoring. So instead of just doing surveys uh, where they go around and ask people what they eat, they actually draw blood levels and check urine uh, across a wide range of, of age groups, ethnicities, across the races, uh, in different geographical areas so that we can truly get a picture of what people's actual nutrition is their, their status is in the United States. And it might surprise you, actually, according to the CDC, 30 million Americans have frank B6 deficiency. Frank B6 deficiency. Twice as many women than men, and, and about 15% of those are black people versus about 10% white. So there's racial differences, there's gender differences here, and 30 million Americans is the equivalent of every man, woman, and child living in New York City, Miami, Dallas, Portland, Seattle, and, and, and a, a significant part of Los Angeles. If we had that many people, I mean, if, if, if on the news, could you imagine that if we said 30 million people are so deficient in some nutrient that it can cause depression, poor attention, poor memory, cognitive decline, short-term memory problems, why is that not on the news? 
I mean, I, I just don't understand it. And so that, that's 10% of all the people living in the United States. That's not an insignificant number. 18 million deficient in vitamin B12, and that number is only going to grow. That number is only going to grow as this nation becomes heavier, fatter, and more diabetic because metformin, the medication that is most commonly used to treat diabetes, depletes B12. 245% increased risk of vitamin B deficiency when you take metformin. So, you know, and who's really monitoring things? You know, I was on a popular TV show. Uh, just a few weeks ago, talking about B6 deficiency, and I asked the physician on that show, who, who's you know certainly uh, you know a very good doctor. I asked him how many times in his career he had actually ever checked somebody's PLP or their their vitamin B6 level. He looked right at me, and I said, "I've never checked it." Right. I was just teaching in front of a group of 600 physicians in San Diego, and I asked how many had ever checked a B6. One person raised their hand. So this is partly what I'm trying to say. is like we don't look for nutrient deficiencies. Um, some of your women who may be eating whole grains and eating leafy greens and all of these things, if she's taking an oral contraceptive, the chance is good that she's low in B6. So, so there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of other things at play today than maybe what our, you know, our great-grandparents, I'm not sure grandparents and parents, but our great-grandparents, when we, when we looked at their diet, I think that, and they, we looked at their lifestyle, I think that it was very different than the lives that we're living today. And I think that um, the need for basic supplementation um, actually may be necessary um, uh, for a considerable number of us. Not all of us, but definitely a considerable number. Well, I love the part in, in Fortify Your Life also, Dr. Lodog, where you talk about how supplementation really isn't new either. You you mentioned the Uruguay using cedar nettle tea in the winter to avoid getting scurvy and, and all the ways in which Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine use tonics in different seasons to supplement their diet. So they're essentially using nutrient-rich substances that aren't necessarily foods. Exactly. I mean, reishi is not a, a mushroom is not an, you know, it's not really an edible mushroom. <laughs> you know, it's not like shiitake or these. But reishi was very commonly used as a tonic. Um, and, and there's so many examples of botanicals that were used that were never part of the diet that people used to fortify themselves, to prevent illness during the winter, to bolster their, their health and energy as they aged. Um, certain nutrients were taken during pregnancy to help ensure a healthy, healthy uh, pregnancy outcome. So it is a very new thought that you do not need to fortify your diet or, or your life. This is a very new concept. Actually, the, the, the older concepts are that there are many times in our lives when additional substances beyond what we would consume in our diet are beneficial for our health. We're talking today to Dr. Tirone Lodog about her latest book from National Geographic, Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Dr. Lodog, one of the, the parts that I really liked about the book is uh, showing how difficult it is to make decisions in the nutrition aisle of the grocery store and that the supplement companies aren't really making it that easy. Uh, so you, you used as one example B12 and just the many different 
potential things you have to parse through to figure out what to buy. Can you just walk us through some of the different considerations when you're looking at the 10 different B12 products in the store? That Just well, as an example of, 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 of one of many things that is complicated. Well, and it's so true. I mean, you have so many decisions to make when you get to the store. You think, well, I'm just going to get a, you know, I'm just going to take a vitamin you know, I'm just going to get a B12. So when you get to the store, you have to think, so am I going to purchase cyanocobalamin, right? Because that's the, that's the synthetic form that is used in many dietary supplements. It's also what's used to fortify grains, right? So is that the one I buy? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Methylcobalamin is actually the form your body wants. It's the one it likes. It's the one it needs. So maybe you're going to purchase methylcobalamin. Okay, so then you have to make the decision of what form. Is it going to be a sublingual? Um, are, are you going to swallow the pill? Um, so which dosage form are you going to use to deliver that B12 once you've figured out what form it is? Then, then you've got to figure out which dosage form you want to deliver it in. Well, you know, you can swallow B12, and, and if, if you're a young, healthy person, um, you're probably going to get relatively good absorption, even through passive, passive absorption. But for instance, if you're taking metformin, which depletes B12, um, it seems to be the problem is with absorption in the small intestine. So taking it in a pill form is probably not going to do you a lot of good. You're probably going to want to take it as a sublingual um, supplement, right? And then you have to begin to think of how much do you need. So you, do you need the recommended daily allowance? Do you need the, the daily value? Do you need more if you're over the age of 50? I mean, so it, it becomes, it starts to become complex. And, and then you have to think it's not just the B12. What do you have to do to actually make the B12 work in the body? Because it doesn't work on its own. It requires other B vitamins for it actually to be taken up and, and used and activated in the body. So I think, I think the, the issues become complicated um, because that's just B12. <laughs> you know, it's not zinc. It's not which magnesium. Is it oxide, glycinate, citrate, citrate, malate? How much? You know, when do you take it? Do you take the calcium with the magnesium? If you, and let me just give you a little note. Calcium, a lot of your listeners, your, your female listeners in particular, may be taking a calcium supplement. Many calcium supplements are 500 milligrams. Um, I think it's a lot of calcium. Personally, I think people overdo calcium in, in, in this population, in the American population. But if you are going to take that 500 milligrams of calcium and you take it at exactly the same time you take your multivitamin, you might as well just, just know you're not going to be absorbing your zinc and your copper and your iron and all of these other nutrients that are available in, you know, micrograms and milligrams because the calcium just overpowers your body's ability to absorb them. So, so do you see what I mean? It's, it starts to get kind of complex real quickly when you, when you start thinking about what form do I need, how much do I need, when should I take it, when should I take it if I'm taking certain medications that when they shouldn't be taken together, um, an interesting study on vitamin D, for instance, found that if you, if you looked at people and you, you took their blood levels and then you gave half of them their vitamin D at breakfast and you gave the other half their vitamin D at dinner and you looked, there was a 50% increase in the rise in vitamin D levels and serum vitamin D levels when you took it with dinner. 
Hmm. And that's because you need fat to absorb vitamin D. So, you know, lots of things to think about. And, and for me, it wasn't just that uh, when I was writing the chapter on, you know, deciphering, <laughs> deciphering, you know, is it a liquid? Is it, you know, is it, a, is it a sublingual? How do you measure it? But then it was also, what are all these binders that you find in there? And what are these flow agents and fillers and, and you know, um, acidulants and coating agents? And what do you need to know about? Like, what's important to you? Some of these things are, are from GMOs. Um, some of these things are, are, are potentially allergenic. So a lot of things for people to think about. I wrote that chapter because, um, for me, my patients have constantly been overwhelmed when they go to a supplement aisle and just trying, when they look at the bo- back of a label, trying to understand what all of these things mean. Well, on top of that confusion, I mean, I think that Fortify Your Life does a great job at at making it easier to figure out these choices. But on top of that confusion is uh, conflicting information and research and in the me- the way the media reports research. Uh, and and also perhaps a lack of of literacy among the general population on how to assess a research study. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because there are some vitamins that have shown some some risks. I mean, I think of particularly vitamin E and vitamin A in some large studies. Um, how do you parse that information, and how do you coach your patients, both in the book and in in your practice, around how to assess some of this info? Right. I actually spent a whole chapter on, like, how do you actually interpret research, um, because I do think it's important, so I, I did address that in, in the book. Um, and under each vitamin, you know, I, I want to I be very clear that this book is not the only resource somebody would need. Um, this is not an exhaustive list on every supplement in the marketplace. I really focused on the supplements I felt people should know, which meant I really felt they should know about vitamins and minerals, because... The reason they're vitamins and minerals is because they're actually essential to your life. And with the exception of vitamin D and possibly vitamin K, your body cannot make these. You must get them in your diet. And so it's not, it's not debating whether you need them or not. It's just the question is, are you, getting, are you getting enough of them for your body to be able to function optimally? Vitamin E, you know, people, you don't need a huge quantity of vitamin E. Um, and, and when people start getting up into the 800s and thousands and 1600s and things like that, that's where you start to get into a problem. Um, when I'm in the book, I'm really talking about staying under 100 IUs, right? And there's never been shown any adverse effects for vitamin E when they're taken at less than 100 IUs, especially when you use a mixture of natural vitamin E's, not just, not, not just alpha tocopherol. Um, vitamin A is an interesting one because in large quantities, in, in large quantities, it can be dangerous during pregnancy um, for the baby. We used to think that, uh, that higher doses uh, uh, of vitamin A, such as 5,000, 10,000, that it could actually um, increase your risk for fracture and increase your risk for osteoporosis. We now have several very large long-term studies that have shown that's not true. So there's no reason for people to take high doses of vitamin A. I mean, there's just no reason to take it. Um, but, but at the doses that are recommended, you know, 2,500, 3,000 international units per day of vitamin A, um, th- this is a very safe uh, amount for people to take uh, and very necessary for immune health and, and, for, and for eye health. So in the book, 
you know, I'm conservative. I'm, I'm a relatively conservative person. I don't recommend mega doses of things anywhere in this book. Um, but I do talk about the fact some people may need higher than the recommended daily allowance. They may need more if they have diabetes, if they're obese. Um, you know, the current guidelines for vitamin D for, for children and adults who are obese, the current endocrine guidelines are that they take two to three times the, the recommended uh, amounts of vitamin D. So if the recommended amount is 600 IUs, they're saying if you're obese, you need to take 1,200 to 1,800 a day. Um, I would argue in the book that you need to get your blood levels checked to actually know how much vitamin D to take. And I give you some places you can order some of your own blood tests if you want to know um, what some of your nutrients are. But, but this is what I mean. It, it's like you have to... You have to remember that, um, I, 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 and I, want, I hope your listeners really get this, that if there were 20 studies showing vitamin D is important for bone health, and then there's one study that shows that it's not, I'm just using a hypothetical here, you probably heard the first couple studies that showed vitamin D was really important for your bones, but the next 18, nobody talked about because it's just one more study saying the same thing as all the other studies. What we'll get on the NBC News or, or any other news uh, network is you will get the news of the one study that showed something different. So what this ends up doing to the public and for people who are watching is that they get a very, uh, very much of a selection bias in what they hear on the news because they're not hearing over and over and over the trials that show the same thing. They just show the outliers. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you don't pay attention to those, but you have to take them in context of the whole of all of the research studies, not just one or two. Uh, and that's what we do in, in research. We look at the totality of the research, not just a couple. Can you talk briefly about uh, the uses for vitamin K and some of the research in Japan? Because uh, that's a vitamin that a lot of people skip over. And uh, it seems to have some intriguing um, science behind it. Well, you know, vitamin K, um, the only thing people really think about with vitamin K is that it makes your blood clot, right? I mean, they, that's, you know, and if people take coumadin, they know they're not supposed to take a lot of it. But so vitamin K comes in a couple different forms, right? Um, there, it's fat, it, vitamin K is fat soluble. And the two forms that we typically find in the world are vitamin K1, which is found mostly in plants, uh, and vitamin K2, which is found mostly in fermented foods um, and, and um, some dairy products as well as, as, as some meats. Your body is able to convert K1 to K2. So vegetarians typically do just fine with K1 because their microbiome is able to convert it. Now, the thing that's very fascinating, and if I, if I was just going to put it simply, one of the most intriguing parts of vitamin K is that it appears to act like a traffic cop for calcium. So we had this, you know, everybody was recommending calcium, calcium, calcium. Women need to take calcium for their bones. And we had what we called a calcium paradox where women were taking calcium, but it didn't seem to be getting to their bones, and it did seem that these women were developing more calcification in their blood vessels. So it was like, well, gosh, so they're taking calcium, but it doesn't seem to be getting to where it needs to be in the bones. It seems to be going into the blood vessels and, and creating, you know, aortic calcification. So then they started looking at vitamin K and vitamin K2 specifically, and they found that it really does act kind of like a traffic cop. It activates 
it activates in the bone osteocalcin, which allows you to take up calcium and lay it down into the bone. And it stimulates the, the activation of a, of a protein, a particular protein, which inhibits calcification of the blood vessels. So, and there was a big study done in, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands where they actually um, looked at the intake of, of vitamin K and vitamin K2 in the diet. And they found that those who had higher intakes of vitamin K2 had about a 50% lower risk of arterial calcification and dying from heart disease than the, those who had a lower uh, intake. So I, I just, yeah, again, I think that this is the problem of focusing on just one supplement like calcium. Calcium needs vitamin D. Calcium needs vitamin K. You need magnesium. I mean, so... It's one of the reasons why I personally think most people do better with a low-potency basic multivitamin mineral than taking megadoses of certain nutrients um, apart from others because you need these working together. If people would have been taking vitamin D and vitamin K, they probably wouldn't have had to have been taking as much calcium as they thought they needed to take. Hmm. And we don't have enough time to really go into your section on, on nutraceuticals, which I really loved, where you, you touch on omega-3s and traumatic brain injury and melatonin and, and the way people are taking it improperly for sleep. But maybe you could just briefly touch on alpha-lipoic acid and, and why you're a, a fan of it is for a lot of people as a nutraceutical. Well, you know, there's a lot of potential, um, uh, there's a lot of research looking at the um, potential for alpha-lipoic acid, uh, especially as we age, right? Because we naturally, we naturally make less of this um, as we get older, right? But two areas that really fascinate me, one is, is the possibility that there may be some benefit for uh, people with dementia, um, that omega-3s and alpha-lipoic acid may be beneficial in people with early stages of, of um, neurogenerative diseases and, and Alzheimer's. So I, I'm intrigued by that. But the place where I think it's most interesting to me was there was a recent review done in 2014 where the um, researchers that were writing this, this kind of systematic review they looked at the studies, only randomized, only double-blind and placebo-controlled trials, and what they found was that it was safe and effective for the treatment of diabetic neuropathy, that it improved the numbness, the tingling, and it also increased um, the muscle strength uh, that often accompanies this problem. The drug that we use, pregabalin or Lyrica, acts more quickly than alpha-lipoic acid, but otherwise they were therapeutically equivalent. So for me, I look at this because I, treat, I take care of a lot of diabetic patients. I think alpha-lipoic acid could be very important for people for the prevention of diabetic neuropathy, um, that if they have early signs to start taking it, I think that's very important. And because many people with diabetes may, you know, it increases their risk for Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. I believe that, I, I believe that lipoic acid could be very I think it could be very important. It also Doc, Dr. Lodog, like lead and mercury, which also is you know intriguing. We're out. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But it was a pleasure having you back on the show. Thank you so much. We're talking today to Dr. Tirone Lodog about her latest book from National Geographic, "Fortify Your Life." You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Neiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.